Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. I keep forgetting they're doing a bumper, and uh, and I'm the one that asked them to do it. So <laughs> I don't know what that is. I can blame it on COVID, you know, we'll blame everything on that. Uh, you know, I was talking to some of the guys before the service and I said, has it really been, we're now in our third year of this? Is that, I mean, I kept, it's almost like we missed the whole year and uh, I was just getting, uh, it's hard to just picture everything in my brain, but we, we do want to pray uh, for a lot of people because a lot of people are getting exposed and, and uh, just do pray and, and and I just would ask that you're careful and cautious and <clears throat> about that. And uh, those, many of us, many people are joining us online, uh, f- you know, to, to be careful. And so we're so glad that they are joining us uh, in this hour and uh, that we welcome you and glad that you're a part of us in our worship today. And so we're, we, we are starting this series about experiencing Christ together. And that's, that's the theme of our church and it has been for a long time, but that's what we do. We are living life together. We experience life together and Christ is the focus of that experience. So experiencing Christ and doing it together. And so that's, that's who we are. And I want to talk today specifically about how we do that in worship. Now we just spent some time in worship, but worship is not limited to what we do during with music. And so we're going to, we're going to spend some time uh, talking about this today. Um, there was a young pastor. He was new in the community and uh, he just graduated from seminary. So he was all eager. And, and, uh, in that small community, all the pastors got together for lunch once a week and spent time together of all the different denominations, just to kind of be an encourager to each other. And also in that community, there was a hospital uh, for that whole region for the mentally ill. And, uh, so the pastors were telling this young pastor, he, they said, you know, once, you know, once a week we rotate among ourselves and we go in during the middle of the week, just go and have a Bible study, uh, with the patients there. And so he was excited about having his turn to do that. And his turn came and he prepared and decided, you know, he had such a good response to his sermon the previous Sunday. So he was just going to preach that sermon. And he went in there with all the eagerness of a young seminary graduate. So they had all the patients in a common room area. And he gets in there and he just preaches his sermon like he did the Sunday before. And so he begins by simply asking the question because he was talking about the purposes of God. And so he asked him, he says, you know, why are we all here? And, um, and he said, said it again. He says, why are we here? And finally, one of the patients in the back of the room raised his hand. He said, we're all here because we're not all there. That's why we're all here. Well, that still is a legitimate question that we have to ask ourselves. You know, why are we here? And what is the purpose of my life? And it's amazing to me how many people go through lives, they never ask that question. And if they do ask the question, they don't ask the right person that question. And so we've been talking about uh, we're made for the glory of God and, and God is the creator of everything. 
So if you really want to know what your purpose is, you have to go to the creator. I mean, who made us? It's kind of like, you know, when you buy stuff for your house, uh, usually you get an owner's manual, but nowadays you don't. You just have to go online and it's easy to find the owner's manual for anything you can buy and you troubleshoot things. Um, and what you're doing, you're, you're looking at the manual written by the people who actually made it. And so usually you can find the answer to what your problem is. And so God has done the same thing. God who made you gave you an operational manual and it's called the Bible. And in that Bible, he tells, tells us, God tells us who we are and why we're here and, uh, and what it's all about and the fact that he did make us. And it even has a troubleshooting section about uh, if this is going wrong, here's what you do. If you got this problem, here's what you do. And, and that's exactly what the Bible is. It's an operation manual. It's an owner's manual. And it was written by God who made us. So we go to the creator, we go to the manual to find out this answer to the question about why we're all here. On Friday of this past week, I did the funeral of a friend who was 88 years old in another city. Um, I was the youth minister in that city, and he had three kids that were in the youth group, and so I knew them very well, and they've kind of been a close part of our family, and we really kind of connected with them. Um, and so they, um, so this was 40 plus years ago. And when I was sharing in the service, uh, I talked about an event that pretty much everybody knew, but they didn't know the details of the event that 40 plus years ago, when the kids, one was in the fifth grade, one was in middle school, one was in high school and, um, their dad, who was a great guy, super guy, was playing in a tennis tournament at the local country club, and he was driving back from that tournament, and somebody threw a rock from out of the woods, and you hear these horrible stories, and the rock went through the windshield and hit him in the face. And uh, he was taken, you know, it took a while for anybody to even find him, because the car ran off the road, and he ran into a tree, and it put the engine in the passenger seat in the front of that car. Well, once they found him, word got to us, you know, hey, you need to go over to the, uh, to the Greens home. So Mary and I went over there immediately and we were just with them. And uh, the mom had already left for the hospital. And once we got the kids settled, you know, and I left for the hospital and was there with the wife. And then we got to see Tom shortly and they were taking him to surgery. An oral surgeon had to try to put his mouth back together. An eye surgeon was doing everything they could to save one of his eyes, and, and he wound up losing an eye. And, um, and in that moment, we knew that uh, his life was going to be different, very different. They never did find the person that did it, but quickly, the parents and the three kids made a conscious decision that they were going to forgive. You know, Mary and I talked to the three kids during that night and just talked about um, getting to that place where they could trust God and learn to forgive this person. 
And all three kids and both parents made that decision, you know, that week, I'm going to forgive. Because see, if they didn't forgive, they would have that rock thrown at them every day. And if they didn't forgive, they'd be wearing that rock around their neck with some really heavy chains, uh, links that are made out of bitterness and anger and hatred. And Tom went on to live an amazing life. He was a great community leader. Uh, he was mayor of the city for like eight years. Uh, the whole uh, walkway and hiking trails that are in between North Augusta and Augusta are called the Greenway, named after him. So that's kind of the impact he had in that community. And um, so as I was sharing, I was talking too about the providence of God, that God God planned our days, and none of us are here by accident. Thomas, who was in the fifth grade, was supposed to be with his dad, and he was supposed to have gone to that tournament, and had he been, he would have lost his life. I mean, that engine would have crushed him, and that would have been it. But for whatever reason, he wound up staying home, and his three kids... I said to them, I said, it was God's providence that your dad was not there that night because God wanted the three of you to be born. You talk about a purpose and a plan. And God has a plan for the three of your lives. And he designed that life. You're not here by happenstance. You're not here by an accident. You're here by divine providence. It was God's plan. Well, the same thing's true for you. If you're here, it's because of a plan. You were born at the time you were born, to the family you were born to, in the country you were born in, and it's not by chance. It's by God's design. And if that's true, then I was truly made by God, and you were made by God, and I was made for God. I was made by him, and I was made for him. You see, a lot of you are you're fine to be able to say you were made by God. But you got to get to that place where you say, I was made for God. And once you say yes to that, then that changes everything about your life. And until you understand that, and until you settle that, then the reality is your life's not going to make a lot of sense. I was made by God, and I was made for him. So what do you think of when you think about worship? Some of you, 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 you remember your, those choirs that you grew up with. I, I grew up in a church that had choirs, and Gateway, we used to have choirs, and it was great. Uh, some of you think about a praise band. Some of you think about certain songs. Uh, some of you think about, well, I, I feel like I'm worshiping when I take communion. Uh, some of you say, I feel like I'm worshiping just going to church. And, and, and the answer is yes to all those things, but it's still not enough. So I, I want to look at some scripture and I want to begin to ask this question. How can we experience Christ together in worship? How can you experience Christ in worship? In, in Revelation chapter 5, 
there's a section in there where it talks about worship happening. And, um, and it talks about angels and the 24 individuals and those who are already in heaven. So I'll, I want to pick up that section in verse 9. And it says, and they sang a new song. That's pretty cool. There are worship songs that are being written. You know, John is seeing the future, but he is literally there in heaven watching this about what's going to happen. And the, he said, there's a new song. So it's a song that is in the process of being written. And it tells us some of the lyrics. It doesn't tell us the, um, the melody, but it tells us some of the lyrics, not all of them. So you think about that. Worship songs, they're, they're going to be there in heaven, so we practice here on earth. <laughs> so worship songs are being written in heaven that you've never heard before. But when you get there, you're going to know them. And, and he said, they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. That's some of the lyrics. For you were slaughtered or crucified, so it tells you he's talking about Jesus. And your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God. And they will reign on earth. So that's just, maybe that's just one stanza, one verse of that song. Then John said, I, I, I looked again, now listen to this, I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels. We, we don't know how many angels there are, but we know there's at least millions. And if he's saying thousands of millions, that means over a billion. So it's a lot of angels. And they were around the throne and the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus. So here's the chorus in that song. So we know at least one of the stanza verses. And now we, here's the chorus. Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And I, I cannot wait hear the melody to that song. That's pretty cool. Now, he says something pretty dramatic here. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, so that's us, and all your relatives and friends who are believers, they were in that first group that who died, they're in heaven. So every creature in heaven and on earth, and when he says creature, that means every created thing. So it's talking about animals. There are going to be animals in heaven, by the way. Um, now, heaven, animals don't have souls. We're not going to go there. But there are going to be animals in heaven because they're part of God's creation. But they're going to be everything that's created, so animals and human beings and angels, everything created. And every creature on the earth. So that's us and all the animals. 
They're going to be worshiping God as well. And under the earth. There are three times in the New Testament that phrase shows up, under the earth. And it's talking about an unseen realm. It's actually talking about people who died without God. Now, there are no animals there. This is just reserved for humans and fallen angels. So everybody that died without Jesus, they're in that category of un, under the earth. And in the sea. So that's Flipper and all his friends. And they sang. So get this. All the creatures are going to have a voice. Blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. So that's another part of this song we're going to sing. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Every human being, even those who say, I'm an atheist, I don't believe there's a God. Or, if there is a God, I don't care. They may have heard about Jesus, they rejected him. That's not for me. They usually say, church is not for me. Or religion's not for me. But ultimately, they're saying, Jesus is not for me. Well, guess what? Those that are in hell right now, and those who are going to go there, they're in a lot of pain. The Bible, Jesus says things like gnashing of teeth, being burned without being consumed, tremendous pain that never ends, but they're going to be singing this song as well. Now think about that. Even in hell, the demons, eventually Lucifer, and everybody who rejected Jesus are going to be singing this same song. They're going to be worshiping Jesus. Unbelievable. So you either worship him now and enjoy the benefits of heaven, but you're going to worship him. Or you can wait and you die without Jesus and then you worship him. It's going to be. It's going to happen. I mean, I, I like showing this verse to people who reject Jesus. I said, hey, this verse is talking about you. It's telling you what you're going to be doing. You are going to worship Jesus. Now, you may think, well, they can't force me. Well, they won't have to. Because you're going to see Jesus in all his glory and you're going to know that he's holy God. And every time somebody came into the presence of a holy being in scripture, they fell on their face before him. Even when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus on that Thursday night in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they said, we are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, and Jesus said, that's me. I am he. The Bible says they fell back 
at just the name of Jesus, they fell back. That's the power of his name. So every evil person that's ever lived, every Christless person who's ever lived, every good person who's ever lived but said no to Jesus is going to worship him. And they're going to be singing the same song that you and I are going to be singing. That's, that's daunting. That's overwhelming to me. Revelation 4.11 you are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. Now get this, and they exist because you created what you pleased. It pleased God to give you life, to create you. You were made for his pleasure because it pleased him. And me, you know, I'm a parent and I'm a grandparent and I love watching my kids and my grandkids do well. And, you know, my fourth grader grandson was in his first robotic competition yesterday. It was so exciting. And, and, um, and, but I love my kids and my grandkids, but it's nothing compared to the pleasure that God feels for each of them because he made them. He made them. It's unbelievable. You were made for his pleasure. So let's talk about this thing called worship. Number one, my ultimate purpose is to worship God. Plain and simple. That's what you're going to do. Every person who ever lived and is living and is going to live, their ultimate purpose is to worship God because that's what they're going to do in eternity. Romans 12:1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God, give yourself to God because of all He has done for you. I mean, He saved you. Let them be living in holy sacrifices, the kind he will find acceptable. So it's based on his standards. This is truly the way to worship him. Notice it doesn't say, learn all the best new worship songs you can learn. No, it doesn't say that. It says to give yourself, your bodies to him, your entire being to him, because that's how you truly worship him. So my ultimate purpose is to worship God. Secondly, worship is my response to God's love for me. That's worship. I, I'm responding that he loves me. Jesus said this in Matthew. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. That means passionately. And with all your mind, that means thoughtfully. You put your mind into it. This is the first and greatest commandment. So that's Jesus' way of saying, hey guys, if you miss this, you miss the whole thing. This is what matters. That you love God above everything else. So Worship is just a way that I react to God's love. I'm responding to God because he loved me. 
And that's what worship is. His love to us, then I worship him back. You see, God takes the initiative. He always does. You just are simply responding to his initiative. It was his initiative to send his son to die for you. It was his initiative that you were born. You had no control over that. You're simply responding to the first move that he made. And God never asked you to make the first move. He's taken that first move. He forgives you. He blesses you. He protects you if you let him. Even my friend Tom, who had his eye destroyed by a rock, he could have spent the rest of his life being bitter, but he wound up doing amazing things with his life because he chose to worship God instead. And the Bible tells him, love your enemies. Do good to those who hurt you. And he chose to forgive. And he wound up doing amazing things with his life. Some of you, you're not going to be able to fulfill God's purpose for your life because you're hung up on your bitterness. Something's happened to you. You've been mistreated. Maybe something happened that you didn't deserve to happen. And you stay focused on that. And as long as you do, you'll never ever truly be able to worship God. The third way about worship. Worship is focusing my attention on God. Psalms 139 O oh Lord, you have examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know that when I sit down or stand up, how insignificant is that when you stand up or sit down? How many times have you stood up or sit down just in this last 45 minutes? And yet God paid attention to every one of them. And God knows when you did it. And, and, and so that's how engaged God is with your life. And, and you know my thoughts, even when I'm far away, even when I'm kind of hiding from you. You already know my thoughts. You, you see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know everything that I do. So God's paying attention to you because he loves you. He created you. You're important to him and he created you for him. So he pays attention to you. And worship is me focusing my attention back to him. Romans 8, 7, for the sinful nature, and every one of you got that, you were born with that, you didn't have a choice about that one, the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. So when you pray to receive Christ, God gave you a new nature, you became a new creature, but you still got that old sin nature. The control you have as a believer, now, when you were not a believer, you had no control. You had no choice about sin. The Bible says that. But once you became a believer, you decide who's on the throne, your old sin nature or your new godly nature. You make that decision. And worship is when I put 
my godly nature, my Christ nature on the throne. And I pushed the old nature, which really stunk. I didn't need that, but I got it. You got it. And I keep it off the throne. Romans 12, 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Pleasing to him. Perfect because it's his. Good because it's his. So, you got a choice as a believer. I'm going to listen and pay attention to what the world thinks, or I'm going to set that aside, and I'm going to pay attention to what God thinks. Old nature, off to the side. World nature, world opinions, off to the side. Jesus on the throne. That's worship. Jesus said, uh, when you pray, go away by yourself and shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. And, and we said last week how we just get to give those rewards back to God. So if I'm going to really prepare for worship, <clears throat> it starts with God and myself being alone together, private, really dealing with my stuff, <clears throat> being vulnerable, being open, being honest. I mean, why not be honest? He already knows everything about me. I might as well be honest about it. It's kind of like, hey, kids, when your parents ask you a question, did you eat the chocolate chip? cookies they already know the answer they're just setting you up <laughs> but they already know so go ahead and tell them yeah i did and it was all that chocolate on your face that gave you away god already knows the answer just be honest with him <clears throat> isaiah 26 3 you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you so He's saying to God, God, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. <clears throat> I like that word fixed. It means locked down. <clears throat> your, your, your focus doesn't need to be on a swivel that you're always being swayed from this to that. Oh, I like that. Oh, I want to go there. Oh, I want this. But it's fixed, welded shut not going to move. It's fixed on God and God alone. When you're fixed on him, the prophet says there's perfect peace. There's trust because God gives it to you. <clears throat> when I take my thoughts and I fix it on God, then I'm at peace. Perfect peace. Because I'm trusting God. Number four, worship leads me to a greater love for others. Worship, when I love others, that's worship. First John 4, 19, we love each other because he loved us first. 
So when I love other people, when I, when I love someone and I minister to them and I tell them I love them, I care about them, <clears throat> then that's, um, that's worship. When I went to do that funeral on Friday, before and after the funeral, I, I met with two former young people that were in the youth group. One I led to the Lord, and he's now in ministry, and we got together. The other one, he's a great guy, and we just talked a lot. We talked about a lot of things, and, and um, he texted me later. He said, I really needed that conversation. So that was worship. And then at the funeral itself, this person that I didn't recognize because I hadn't been there in 40, 40 plus years, this, this guy came up to me. He said, I, you know, I don't know this guy's funeral. I don't know who this, who this guy is, but I saw that you were doing the service. And I just wanted to come and tell you, you led me to the Lord when I was in elementary school. And I still got that Bible you gave me. It sits on my, on my desk. I say, wow. That, that's worship. You see, God allowed me to worship in that. That a soul was saved. A elementary age. Just because somebody sat down and said, hey, Jesus loves you. And you can love him back. You worship God every time. Every time you love others. Number five, worship reminds me of God's love for me. Hosea 6.6, 6, I, I want to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me. This is God talking now. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. He said, I, I want you to show love. I want you to love me and I want you to know me. I want you to show love for others. And, and so when I, that's worship. And when I'm worshiping, when I'm showing love to others, I'm worshiping holy God because I'm worshiping him by loving those he created. In Exodus, we're reminded, it says, you must worship no other gods. For the Lord, whose very name is Jealous, is a God who is jealous. <clears throat> and, and the best way to understand the word jealousy there is the word passionate. So you could say, God is passionate about his relationship with you. He's jealous for it. He's passionate about it. And when you worship anything other than him, it breaks his heart because he created you. Nobody loves you more than he does. And he proved it through Jesus. So when I worship, it reminds me of God's love for me. The last one. Worship is using my giftedness for God. Every time, well, let's put it this way. I'm using one of my spiritual gifts right now. So I'm actually worshiping right now using my spiritual gift. Whatever your spiritual gift is, when you use it, 
you're worshiping. And what's really cool about that, the reason we experienced Christ together is we need each other in our spiritual giftedness. That's why none of you have all the spiritual gifts. We need each other. So when all of us are using our spiritual gifts together, and a whole bunch of you have already been using your spiritual gifts today, we're worshiping together when we do that. Colossians 3.23, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. attitude. Everything that you do, even at work, even if it's something that seems mundane, he says, here's your attitude. Do it as if you're doing it for the Lord. And that changes your attitude about everything if you're doing it unto the Lord. You know why it's hard for some Christians to witness to their fellow workers at work? Why it's hard for you to have a valid witness to them? Because they look at your work ethics. They look at your attitude. And if it's not stellar, if you don't work harder than everybody else or maybe work harder than anybody else, if you are always taking shortcuts and if you're always putting people down and griping about the boss and if you're always coming in late and leaving early and if you're always sneaking around, you know, not doing your fair share, why in the world would they consider your faith? But when they see you and your work, you work harder than anybody else and you're looking out for other people, they see you as an encourager and always, I mean, you're worshiping God when you do that because you ultimately are pointing people to God. So my friend Tom, who died this past week, he was recognized by the city. The mayor was there to present a proclamation. A U.S. senator sent a letter because of all of his involvement in, in the politics and trying to make a difference in his community. And uh, there was a state congressman there. I mean, he was well thought of and well loved. He worked harder than anybody else. And they all knew where he stood as a believer. One last verse in worshiping is using your giftedness for God. 2 Corinthians 5. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, you know, died, our goal is to please him. So while we're here on earth, we're here to please him. When we get to heaven, we're going to please him. And when people die without Jesus and go to hell, guess what? They're going to please God by worshiping him. And the way I please God is by worshiping him. And these five ways, six ways, are how I can worship him. So I want you to study these six ways. I want you to think about it. I, I want you to examine your own life personally. And ask yourself, am I truly worshiping holy God? Let's pray.